0: Beautiful Faith, uh, and we've been going through the sermon series, and our, and our hope of this sermon series is that we would be refreshed in our faith, that we would be refreshed in such a way that we, uh, you know, by nature, we're attracted to beauty. We are compelled uh, by beauty, um, and this is kind of what brings us to the faith and what keeps us in the faith, right? It's what brings you to something and keeps you in something if, you're, if you are just compelled by its beauty, that's kind of the way you and I are made. Uh, we're made to be compelled by beauty, and we believe that Christianity is the most beautiful thing in the world. Um, and that's one of the things we wanted to be refreshed by. Uh, and we also believe that that is who we are as a people. We, as a community, we want to be uh, people. We want people to be attracted to the church because it's a beautiful place to be. It's a beautiful people. Um, and so that was our hope at, with this um, sermon series that we would. Uh, be refreshed by that. Not only that, but that be, we would be refreshed that we have a beautiful Savior. Um, and so that we would just kind of stop and be captivated uh, by beauty. And so today we come to the, the final sermon in the series. In the last few weeks, what we've been doing is kind of zooming out uh, more and more. We kind of were looking at you know, the beauty of the individual, right? The beautiful image. And we have kind of stepped back out and began looking at a beautiful community, who we are as a church. And today we're going to f- kind of zoom all the way out Uh, and look at how we have a beautiful world and kind of what our understanding of that is and how we live in light of that. Um, And so just as a reminder, we've been going through this, uh, this is a topical sermon series, so we've been kind of jumping around in the Scriptures, and we're going to be doing that today. I'm going to be launching from a passage, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is Psalm 24. You can turn there in your Bibles if you want right now. Uh, We're going to be launching from there, but we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Okay, next week we're going to go back into the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be kind of camping out there uh, for the next, like, several weeks. So we're just going to jump around today a little bit, all right? Okay. So let's read Psalm 24, 1 and 2. This is a Psalm of David. I'm just going to read verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it, Upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, we do come to you and give you praise. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word and that you also reveal yourself to us through your world, Um, that you are more ready to reveal yourself and to show us who you are, and to proclaim your love than we are to receive it, to hear it, and to see it. So Lord, we we need you. Spirit, we need you to open our eyes, to see, open our ears, to hear, and open our hearts that we might receive what you would have for us in faith and in joy. May your word be the power of salvation for all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how you and I think about the world shapes how we live in it, right? It's pretty, that's common knowledge, right? But I think we can all agree upon that. How you think about the world in which you live in, how you think about it, shapes how you live your life. That makes sense. Makes sense. But I want us to kind of just go with me for a second here. I want to think about this with you as we begin, because it our posture, the way we think about the world, the way we understand it, our sort of posture towards the world, again, affects the way we live in it. For example, if I think that the world exists for myself, right? So I'm going to just go ahead and indict all of us here, right? How many of you have ever said, I'm bored? Kids, yeah? I'm bored, right? Well, that could indicate that you think the world is there for your entertainment. <laughs> Sometimes when I say that the, the, I'm bored... It means, I'm bored. World, why can't you provide me entertainment, right? Or, how many of you have ever thought or said, I want more? Fill in the blank. I want more money. I want more stuff. I want bigger. Fill in the blank, right? Kids, we can all agree with this, right? right? You can agree with me too. I want more. And sometimes what that shows us is that that could mean that we think the world exists for ourselves, that the world is there for me to go and grab, for me to hustle, to go get more money, to go accumulate more, right? How you think about the world shapes how you live in it. How you think about the world, whether and, and we can go on and on and on, whether you're bored or whether you want more, you can fill in the blanks. Some of those are just indicators. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I mean, it's not terrible to be bored. It just, it just might indicate something deeper about how you actually think about the world. Some of those times when you say those things, we have to look at what's driving those behaviors. And this is not just true of, this is actually especially true of the church. How we think about, how the church has thought about the world around it has shaped the way the church has existed in its life together for its history, right? So I want to, I want to go there for a minute and think about this. I actually start in the present time um, and go, go kind of backwards for a second here. Christians have often taken different approaches throughout the history of the church and how they think about the world. And very often the church, how, much, how many of you have kind of heard this or grew up in this, the church has often kind of said the world is bad, Right? Kind of the, the church is kind of this holy huddle where we kind of have to get, not get stained by the world. The world is bad, and we have to just kind of stay away from it. It's sinful. Stay away from it as much as possible. And even kind of like it creates this, this sort of, right, this dichotomy, if you will, this, this difference. And like if we can just kind of get away from even what's physical in the world and kind of go away to what's more spiritual, we kind of begin to separate those things. And that even has creeped into the language in the church today. How many of you kind of hear, well, we just need more passion for God, right? This emphasis on being passion. And passion is good. Or if you need to go deeper in your relationship with God, all those kind of indicate this idea that there's this separation between, like, if we can just kind of focus on the spiritual things, the things that are spiritual, then, then that's, what it, that's what defines our relationship with God. Often, you know, I grew up thinking, maybe some of you grew up thinking this way, as a, I grew up in the church, and I grew up in the evangelical church, and so much of the way I thought about my Christian life was, I am a Christian when I'm reading my Bible and when I'm praying, but when I'm going to school and when I'm going to work, all that's kind of separate. All this sort of different. I can really, and even now, like I kind of think it, about it even now, like I can think, when I'm kind of spending time in silence and solitude, that's when I'm really experiencing the presence of God. But man, how many of you get frustrated when you're doing chores around the house and you're just trying, <laughs> you're just trying to like get to that moment where you can be away from all that? right? We kind of emphasize this, this emphasis on being spiritual, the this, this separation between that God is only present when we do these spiritual things for him or with him, and what about all the physical stuff that we do? What about the rest of our days? What about our work? What about our school? And this actually has its roots in a f- couple of philosophies around the time of Christ that I want to talk about for a second. There's a couple of philosophies uh, called Gnosticism. Have you ever heard that term? And dualism. <clears throat> First, I want to talk about Gnosticism. Gnosticism began in the church around the second century when the group of people uh, developed this philosophy, it comes from the word gnosis. Uh, in Greek, which means knowledge, that you can kind of get the, a deeper knowledge if you just kind of get away from the physical, your physical life and the ordinary things, and if you kind of can go away and get deeper knowledge of God. Actually, the Gnosticism taught that the world was not created by God. It was created by some sort of lesser being than God. Um, and actually, so therefore... All the physical and ordinary stuff of the world was lesser than, and the the spiritual stuff of the world was greater than. That's the same thing with Plato and dualism. It was like this dichotomy. There was this difference. There was a separation of every, like the real reality is what's spiritual, right? And then the the lesser reality was what's kind of physical. And as I was thinking about it this week, I was like, man, I've known this for a while, like I've known most, I studied this in seminary, I know what Gnosticism is, I know what dualism is, like I know this, and I've seen it in the church, and I've tried to sort of operate apart from it, but how many times do I still operate where like the lesser than, greater than, if I could just sort of get away, that's greater, and all the stuff I'm doing, the physical like chores, and like all the stuff of this life, the work that I do is like less than right? Do you guys ever kind of operate that way? Yes. Right. So one of the things that I want to kind of tackle this today with you and kind of show like, hey, this is not the way we were meant to live. This is not how God is calling us to live. Uh, this is something that even our church father, Irenaeus, in the, in the second century tackled this to kind of tackle the idea that no When Jesus came, he came to save the world. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in its entirety. Um, So when we believe that God created a beautiful world in which we can experience him through ordinary physical ways, and which he has redeemed and will renew completely, that will shape how we are called to live our life. I'm going to say that again. When we believe that God created a beautiful world in which we can experience him through ordinary physical means, ways, and which he has redeemed and is renewing completely, that's going to shape how we live and change how we live. So just a couple points that I want to focus on. First of all, this first point is this. the, the, The world belongs to God, and therefore all of life is worship. That's my first point. The world belongs to God, and therefore all of life is worship. Look back with me at verse uh, 24, verse 1. Many of you know, well, I'll, I'll just read this again. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. You kind of, you can almost hear kind of the sing-songiness. It's called parallelism. Like, par- the Psalms often have parallelism, where it'll, it'll say one verse, and then it'll, it'll reinforce it the next The next time in the next verse, but it'll kind of say it a little differently. I was uh, in a discussion with my wife recently, actually this week, kind of she was talking to me about how much I repeat myself. And I was saying, um, well, actually, actually, babe, you know, I'm just using parallelism because I don't know if you know this, but the Bible's filled with parallelisms and it's poetic. And so I was like, if you just kind of think about it that way a little differently, maybe you could not see that I'm repeating myself. I'm just kind of being poetic. So anyways, it didn't fly so well. Um, <laughs> but it is really cool. The Psalms are really cool in that they have parallelism. It's, it's, uh, it's One of the things I love about the Psalms the poetic nature of them. You kind of see it here. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Same thing happens in verse 2, this parallelism. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Um, I was thinking about this, dwelling on this verse this week and meditating on it, and I was thinking about um, maybe some of you have heard of the Dutch theologian, Reformed theologian, Abraham Kuyper. Uh, He has this famous saying where uh, he's most famous for saying this quote. He says, There's not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord of all, doesn't say mine. In other words, he's saying there's every square inch of the whole domain of all All the universe in which Jesus is Lord, he says, this is mine. This belongs to me, right? It's, again, how you think about the world. Who does it belong to? Who is it for you? Is it for Christ? Is it for God? This world belongs to God. And so I want to think about that with you for a second, like to sort of recenter ourselves on how we can operate in that and think about the world as it belongs to God. And I love this. Some of you, I've introduced this Godspeed curriculum but uh, with the pastor, Matt Canlis, his wife wrote a book, Julie Canlis, wrote a book called Theology of the Ordinary, and it's great. I'm actually going uh, uh, to read a little clip. You don't read a clip. You read a, a section from it, you watch a clip. Um, what she does is she, she uh, thinks about when, you know, Moses was the writer of Genesis. And when he was telling the story of creation, um, she thinks back to, to the ancient Near East and that time period, especially when God's people would have understood the main thing, like what was built in six days. Do you know what was like the main thing that was built in six days? The temple. The temple was the main thing built in six days. So when, you know, when this story of creation started, like when Moses was writing this down and telling the story, the oral story, the people who heard this, in their minds, they would have immediately thought, when, God, when Moses was telling the story of creation, they would have immediately had in their mind, oh, the, he's, he's talking about a temple. When There's an association there with creation and the temple. Let me just read to you what she says here a little bit. This is fascinating. She says this. When Moses began numbering the days of creation, people sat up. They knew exactly what was going on. God is building his temple. In the Genesis account, God is pictured as a temple builder who is constructing his house. But here's the twist. What is God's temple? Where is his majesty, his presence, his sacred dwelling? And then this is actually, this quote is actually what was in the, the worship guide. His temple is the earth. The earth now takes us on supreme significance as a place to worship God. Ordinary life on earth is temple life. Worshipful. Everywhere, a place of communion with God. The limited, finite creature who is put on the, in this garden is gently placed there to work and to keep it. In other words, by working and keeping the physical world, Adam and Eve were in communion with God. That was their worship. All of life was designed to be worshiped. Not just when we go, there was no separation between the two. There was no separation between, you know, the, everything was sacred There was no separation between the two. Um, So this understanding that when we understand that the world is God's temple in which he is present and that we can have communion with him and that that's how he designed it to be, that's certainly going to shape how we live life. And that's what I want to challenge you with this morning and for you to to challenge myself with, to recenter yourself to believe that all of life is worship. This is worship for sure, what we're doing around the Word and the sacrament, right? God comes to meet with us in this special means of grace. And, and all of life, when you go out from here, how you work and how you play and how you are in your family life, that is worship too. You can have communion with God. And and it's such a challenge because I think we still operate by Gnosticism and dualism, we have to be constantly reminded of this, of this good news. And so what does that mean for us? I don't think there's a magical formula here. I don't think there's a magical formula because I still get, you know, does that mean that from now on you're never going to get frustrated when you're doing the dishes? You know, no, when I'm, you know, I'm still going to get mad when I see weeds in my yard. I'm going to be like, hmm, you know, i got to go pull those weeds. That's not joyful for me. Anybody joyful for, uh, joyful for? No? Didn't think so. <laughs> um, I'm still going to curse weeds but what you can begin doing but what you can begin doing is you can begin meditating in whatever you're doing whether it, in the moment where you're washing the dishes or the moment where you're you know, doing chores or where, where you spend most of your days at work to say this is God's, this belongs to God my work belongs to God even if it's frustrating my work belongs to God And I can have communion with him. And that is a very, just kind of, even if it's having to recenter yourself in a moment, my work belongs to God. You can begin proclaiming that and living in light of that. And the idea is that we would begin to uh, not see our lives so separated, so divided from like what's physical and what's spiritual, that actually God intended for all of this to operate together. So, The world belongs to God, and all of life is worship. Second point is this. For God so loved the world. God loved the world, and so all of life is redeemed. I want to talk about that for a second. God so loved the world, all of life is redeemed. Again, the way you think about the world shapes the way you think about life. And this is not only true about creation. This is also true about redemption. How you think about creation shapes the way you live in it. But how you think about redemption shapes the way you think about your own redeemed life. And this is also where Gnosticism and dualism kind of takes away from the beauty of our faith, kind of takes away from the beauty of Christianity. Because the church can often believe, right? I mean, this is kind of classic, that, Christ, that God just came to save our souls, right? Just kind of save our souls. As long as we just kind of get right with God, then we can kind of go away from the world and go to heaven. And again, like, I've, I've known, I've been, for the last, most of my adult life, I'm like, that you know, there's more to it than that. I know that. But I can still find myself sort of operating by that in kind of subtle ways. I don't know if you can, too. And here's what I, I still find myself and the churches I'm in kind of wanting to separate. Kind of separate word and deed. Right? We want to kind of separate things. Like, they kind of exist outside of each other. We kind of want to separate community and service. Like, they're, they're, they're not the same when actually they were intended to go all together. They were intended to go hand in hand. They were not intended to be separate. We kind of want to compartmentalize our faith, right? And that's a, that's a result of Gnosticism and dualism. We kind of say, well, I'm, you know, we need to get, just kind of go and make sure we're right with God and then kind of serve over here. Let me explain kind of, uh, let's look at the Scriptures. We're going to jump around a little uh, turn to John 3.16. Actually, you don't need to turn there. You just memorized it. Right? John 3.16. Kids, you want to do it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Ooh, everlasting life or eternal life. Either one goes. It's fine. All right, so we, we know that by heart by now. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So often, though, I love uh, that we included verse 17 in our, conf- in our confession of sin because sometimes we want to have verse 16 without verse 17, <laughs> right? So often that's what we do with Scriptures. We actually separate the Scriptures, too. We actually kind of divide the Scriptures up, and we kind of want to take the Scriptures, right? But, but the whole Scriptures were meant to operate as a unified whole, even the verses that go next to each other. So what does verse 17 say? Let's, go, let's look and see. For God, you know, we have this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Isn't that good news? Oh, my gosh. He doesn't want to condemn. He does not want to condemn. But in order that the world might be saved through him. That is good news, that the world might be saved through him. I've been thinking about um, there's a a painting that uh, resurfaced about five years ago. Have you guys ever heard of this painting by Leonardo? um, Not Leonardo DiCaprio. He he wasn't a painter. Leonardo da Vinci, Um, (laughs) Leonardo da Vinci, uh, called the Salvador Mundi, Salvador Mundi. It's actually kind of known as like the the male Mona Lisa, and it just sort of resurfaced. It's this painting of Christ, and he's, he has, in his right hand, he's got this, basically the world, it's this, it's this sphere, it's this globe, and on the left hand, he's holding out the sign of the blessing, the peace, and, it's, and his face is almost looks like the Mona Lisa, it's this sort of face that's kind of, uh, you know, pictured, you can interpret it in different ways, and this, this painting resurfaced and was bought at a, the, most, uh, the most expensive painting that was ever purchased um, by Christie's in New York, and, and people began to analyze it and began to, art historians began to look at it. And as they began to look at it, they noticed that the, that the, the round sphere the, that uh, Jesus is holding in his hand is actually kind of like a sphere. It's not like, it's not like the world. There's no light reflecting through it. It actually, uh, art historians say, it actually is supposed to represent the whole cosmos. In other words, that like Jesus didn't just save the world. He's not just blessing the world. He's he's Saved and redeeming it all. The entire thing. The entire cosmos. That as he holds his hand out in blessing and as he holds this sphere, this cosmos out, he is blessing the entire world and he's blessing it and redeeming it all. And that's the picture that I think that we should have from this verse. It's this posture of Christ blessing. He doesn't come to condemn. He doesn't point his finger at the fear. That's not what he does. He doesn't point his finger and say, shame on you. I've got to come and do this for you now. No, he blesses. That's, his, that's the way he operates with us, is out of love. That's the primary way that he operates with you and I. And friends, you can't, so you can't have verse 16 without verse 17. And in, in the same way, I want to jump around here. You can't have John without Romans, right? So I want to go to Romans now. You can, this whole, the whole Bible operates together. You can turn with me to Romans chapter 8. That it's... And I want what I wanted you to see here is is again the Bible operates as this this, this interconnectedness between all of this. There's this cohesiveness in in what we're uh, what what is being proclaimed about salvation. So I'll start in verse 19, verse Romans chapter 8, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. Do you hear that? Do you see that connectedness? How we're connected with, like, Paul's showing us, hey, the world groans and you groan. The world waits and you wait. There's a connectedness there. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Have you ever had an experience like this where you kind of read about this groaning, like this, e- this sort of groan, this, like this tension that you feel? I want to tell you, like the last two weeks for me, I have felt this in a way uh, I would say that I haven't felt in a while. And what I mean by this is, like, I've, the last two weeks for me, like, I've experienced the beauty of nature, kind of the beauty of the world and the brokenness of the world in very, like, both extremes. Like, uh, I know a lot of you were on fall break this week. Our fall break with uh, City of Decatur Schools was, like, three weeks ago. So we got to go to the beach. And I got to sit in front of the beach like I do and just stare at the ocean. You guys like to do that? I mean, maybe some of you like to play. I like to sit and just stare at the ocean, you know, go with my kids out in, the, out in the water, play in the water. And just and it was so beautiful. The water was perfect. It was probably one of the better beach experiences I've ever had. And I was just sort of in a worshipful moment. And I got back immediately. And the next day I had to go to a funeral Of one of my high school friends who had died of COVID, a basketball teammate of mine, and I I had to sort of grieve this sudden loss with his family. And then the next day, I had to turn around and find out that my brother had COVID, and that all of a sudden he was going to the hospital himself. And I was driving up to Gwinnett County like two weeks ago, and I was having flashbacks to when 15 years ago, my dad was in the hospital. And I just all of a sudden just let out this deep groan. Like this, like, oh! Like I could just feel it. Like I just felt like the extent of like, this world is so beautiful and this world is so broken and I just was yearning for the redemption of it. And maybe I know we all have different stories and maybe you've been in a place like that where you just yearn. You're just like, oh! You ever done that where you just, oh, I want redemption. I want renewal. I want it. I want resurrection. You know? And friends, that's the world that God has come to save. That what we believe, what is so beautiful about our faith is that God has done it in Christ. And we're just yearning. We're waiting for it. You can almost feel it in your bones. As I read Romans 8, I can feel it almost kind of and together we're yearning with creation. And so, how does this affect the way we, we live? If we believe that God is redeeming all of, all of life, He's redeeming all of the cosmos, what does this mean for how we live, for how you live? What does that mean for how you think about the physical world around you and how you think about and what your calling is? Friends, much like we said about all of life is worship, all of life is going to... God is renewing, or God is redeeming all the cosmos. And so that should shape the way in which we interact with the world. And my, my hope is that we would, you would begin to see that we wouldn't live in that separation anymore, that we, you would begin to see the interconnectivity of it all, that it all, the spiritual and the physical, are meant to be redeemed and renewed. And so I want to close with, uh, I was listening. I'm not a podcast listener. I really don't, but we were driving back. This is another moment of mine when I was, uh, we were driving back from the beach a couple weeks ago and and Maya, my wife was like, let's listen to a podcast just to kind of pass the time. She was like, I've got this podcast that people have been recommending to me, Dolly Parton's America. You guys listen to that podcast? It's so good. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. Like I wanted to, and part of what's, I haven't finished listening to it, but uh, we were listening to one of the episodes that was, where this woman was sharing about a hard time she was having in her life where she was actually in this midst of groaning about the world around her. And and then, but one of the things that this sort of explored in this podcast is Dolly Parton sort of enters in this space with people where she can kind of like speak and sing into people's lives. And there was this song... um, called Light of a Clear Blue Morning. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to read the lyrics to this. And then I was like, no, I'm not. We're going to play Dolly Parton right now. And so we're going to conclude listening to Dolly Parton. We'll play this song. I want you just to listen to it. And then then we'll close in prayer. So let's listen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for uh, listening to that. Friends, we can believe that because of what Christ has done for us. Our night is turned into morning because of what Christ has done for us. So, friends, I hope you can lean into that and believe that, um, that God is redeeming this world through his Son. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that we can— you have a beautiful world that you do not give up on, um, that you have redeemed through your Son, Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for your love, for your, your deep love for us. I pray that we would believe and live out that all of life is worship and that all of the cosmos is redeemed. And so, therefore, we can have faith in you and what you're doing in this world. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.